When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I'm pleased to announce I'm back to doing my podcast again by releasing my live shows I do on the new Locker Room app. So if you have an iPhone or iPad, download Locker Room, follow me at B-Ball Breakdown, and you can call into the show and discuss anything NBA you like. My show is every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and every Sunday at 9 a.m. Pacific. Hope to see you there, and in the meantime, enjoy the great conversation. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the uh, NBA Breakdown over on Locker Room every Sunday, every Wednesday, Sundays at 9 a.m., Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific. Um, just got back from a vacation for a week, so I'm absolutely, uh, completely and utterly uh, relaxed and cleansed of the palate of the NBA. I didn't watch a ton of stuff this past week, but I did stay up with what I could do. Um, I even watched a little bit of the OKC versus Boston game last night because we had to check out what was happening with uh, my man Moses Brown, who was having uh, the game of his life last night and ended up having, I think, the second fastest double-double in OKC history, which is quite impressive considering who has played for OKC for all these past few years. Um, And, you know, it was just fun to see. I've known Moses since he was in high school and just to see him uh, develop like this and get through some trials and travails uh, along his journey to get to the NBA. And now on the uh, on a very fun OKC team, uh, it was fun to watch him, you know, dominate and dunk over people on rolls. It was also embarrassing to watch it on the Celtics perspective. And I'm going to do a video uh, probably this week. They've won two in a row, but obviously one is against OKC, who uh, they Dort got hurt a little bit, and then um, so did um, the other guy, uh, Pokashevsky, for a little bit at least. So, uh, but but the Thunder were handing it to him for a while, and it was fun. It's fun to watch underdogs take on you know a better team and and actually play well and feel like they're going to have a chance. Uh, there was like a 19-0 run, you know, in the fourth quarter, end of the third or something that uh, doomed the game very quickly, but. Um, there are some real problems with the Celtics, I'll tell you that. And uh, I've got a video kind of queued up, at least for Marcus Smart, and we'll see if I continue to expand that for uh, the rest of the team and, and uh, what their issues are, because it's not good. And, um, you know, if, if they don't turn this thing around in the next 30 games and then do well in the playoffs, then I think that Brad Stevens would be on the hottest of seats too. Even though he's saying he's committed to the Celtics, he's got to say that. Uh, you know what I mean? There's, there's, no, there's no other choice for him when they ask him about the Indiana job. But every day that goes by that Indiana hasn't, you know, hired somebody, it makes you wonder if they're just going to wait for him, which they probably should, because it might not end up being Brad Stevens' decision uh, at the end of the season. If the Celtics kind of limp into the playoffs and they lose in the first round, I don't, I don't know. Like, do they keep Stevens? I mean, I, I you know, he's he is a great coach, but. That usually what happens in those situations doesn't matter. They just start to clean house and do some different things. So keep your eye on that. Don't forget, you're always welcome to um, 
you know, come on on the show and discuss things with me. Uh, I, I watched a bunch of the Bulls game last night, so I have a lot of thoughts about that. None of them good, uh, but we'll talk about it. So if you want to talk about that and any other trades, we should do that. Um, and also, let's see here. I'm slurping for – you know what? I'm not slurping for gems anymore. I think I've given up uh, hope. There's no way. I mean, some of these guys have thousands of gems, but if you want to throw one my way, please, I'll take it. And if you make a good point, I will give you one back. And, um, you know, eventually I'll figure out who is talking. There's a little glitch in this uh, app right now is when I'm doing my – I'm actually able to talk to you through my computer, which is exciting. But as a result, I can't see who's talking to me with that little nice, you know, green circle around your icon yet. But when that happens, I'll be able to easily give you guys gems as well. So as of now, I ask who's talking. Shea was hurt as well. That's another thing that Nick Basketball makes a point of. Uh, so, you know, there was no reason for the Thunder to be in this game at all, and yet – if you look at the, um, you know, popcornmachine.net has this wonderful, I use all the time, uh, you know, linear uh, game flow. And you can see, like, they were up, uh, you know, a, a nice amount. They were up five, six, seven, like the whole game up until right around, you know, the beginning of the fourth quarter when uh, all of a sudden it just completely fell apart very quickly, um, which is what was supposed to happen. It's not like a shock, but still, uh, to watch Moses Brown just like, I mean, he was just rolling and dunking on guys, and, and the Celtics could not rotate properly to stop that. It was embarrassing because you don't normally see that many rolls, just a straight pick and roll on top. And Moses would just run to the basket and they'd throw it to him and he would just dunk it. And he would dribble the ball once and then dunk it and they'd throw it up to him for a lot. It was really, um, you know, more of a reflection on what's going on with Boston, honestly. So it might, might even be worth kind of heading over to the quickly to the um, to check the uh, schedule. I'm kind of curious what Boston's schedule looks like right now. So let's head over there, shall we? Um, because, you know, I didn't even plan to talk much about Boston, but let's do it because they're on my mind. Because we'll get to the uh, to the Bulls in a second. I have a feeling there's some Bulls fans out there that – that want to hear about my thoughts on the trade of Vucevic to uh, the Bulls. So they're going to play. Uh, this is the Celtics schedule going forward. Monday, New Orleans. Wednesday, Dallas. Friday, Houston. Sunday, Charlotte. And then Tuesday, Philly. So they're going to have three tough games and two. Uh, actually, Charlotte's not a – well, they lost. Um, that's too bad. You know, it's a really devastating loss to, to not have LaMelo Ball anymore uh, after he broke his wrist. It's really too bad. But they'll have a few games in there this week uh, that will be um, – difficult and we'll be able to see so all right well listen we got anthony wants to come on joe and discuss something so anthony what's happened to my man hey how's it going coach can you hear me okay uh i think so keep talking we'll find out <laughs> okay <laughs> i guess so yeah uh i guess since we're talking about the celtics right now how do you feel i didn't hear how you felt about the fournier pickup and is that going to inject some energy into this team that seems to uh seems to have topped out somehow yeah, no, I, you know, I had spoken uh, before the trade went down. Someone had pr- proposed that trade, and I was like, "Oh, I really like that." But I, I almost would have liked it if they just swapped Fournier and Smart. And and my tweet about Smart that uh, kind of went around the internet for a little while for a little while uh, about how everyone thinks I'm insane, like. It, it, I, I don't have to watch much of a, of a Celtics game to see the issues that I'm talking about. It, even though they're intermixed with what I see are good things as well, but they end up balancing, balancing each other out in a volume that's going to lead them to be the average. I'm sorry, but that's what his, that's his issue. But as a result, though, however, with Fournier in there, it might bump Smart down another rung in, in the role department in the offense. And so that might be beneficial to the Celtics overall. And I love the I think I think Fournier should really really help them. It's it's something that they could use uh, off the bench. Uh, a guy that can be running off screens. He can put the ball on the ground. He can make passes as well and be a playmaker. So possibly if that does if that tempers Smart's impact on offense. They need less impact from Smart, believe it or not, to make him better. 
Um, so that might help. But Fournay isn't the guy necessarily who's going to come in and like change the energy, right? And is that, I think is it safe to say, Anthony, that like it's an energy thing too? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I guess like we've spent this whole season. I mean, they had a smart injury. Oh, can you hear me? Okay. Wait, say not really. Say that last part again. Can you, how about now? Is that better? Oh, that might be better. Yeah. Okay. Uh, something with my mic or not. Nope. <laughs> we, I don't know if we can hear you really well. Um, anyway, well, you know, fight through if you can. Well, but I'll, I'll keep talking. And by the way, anybody else, please, you're more than welcome to come on and talk about this. So, yeah, so 48, I don't, I don't see him personality-wise as the guy that's going to come in and just sort of make a huge impact and everyone gets happy and they're all playing. Obviously, with the Celtics, it's defense, too. Um, uh, so that's not uh, going to change much with Fournier coming. Uh, and How's that's that, an issue Doug? because – uh, a little bit better, maybe. Okay. It still sounds a little, uh, you know, like, um, oh, wait, maybe that was for the best. I heard you say something. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess um, the one. Now you're better. I was thinking about was, well, having a, having a new guy on the team, I don't uh, who can, you know, come off the bench, score points, uh, maybe mix up the chemistry a little bit because they seem kind of stale, I guess. It's, it's more of like, well, this team is basically the same team as last year and the year before, right? Um, so maybe they just need a new personality in there and, uh, just, just a new body in there. Yeah. I mean, any, anything they need something, right. And let's try that, (laughs) but I don't know. I don't know if Fournier, uh, he, again, impact wise defensively, he's not going to really make a movement there. So, you know, that's really what they need the most at this point. Although I should probably check to make sure that I I forgot what their uh, offensive rating was. And it wasn't great either. So everything helps. Right. And if you end up, doing better offensively, then that can make your defense better because you're set up more often. Um, let me just see where the Celtics are. They yeah. are ranked um, right now, uh, let's see, 12th on, in offensive rating. So, you know, that's okay. Uh, maybe a boost a couple spots up because he plays it makes them better, um, you know, makes their defense a little bit better too. But let's see here. They fall into 22nd in defensive rating. It's not going to cut it. They're not going to make Uh-oh. it if they don't fix that. Yeah. And do you think that it's – uh, now, now we're going to actually see Robert Williams being featured as this, you know, uh, getting you know thirty thirty six minutes. I imagine um, I'd be curious to see your thoughts on Robert Williams and maybe you know as he gets more experience that that defensive you know number will get better. Um, I, I like him. I like him a lot better than when they had Tice starting, for instance. I don't like Tristan Thompson either. So yes, he is their best choice to be a starting center without, in my mind, without question. So that's, that answers that, right? Now, again, he isn't necessarily ready to be like the swarming defensive presence, right? He doesn't, he doesn't really have that yet, even though he's got a body for it. So maybe he kind of gets more minutes, more comfortable, and they can work with him defensively, and he'll improve there. Uh, I'd like to see that, but there's still some issues with him being able to make plays around the rim and handle pick and rolls. So that's the real issue is can he do that any better than like Tice can? Probably just because he can recover better if, if there are mistakes and, and help and erase shots. But uh, but so I, I would have to say, yes, that's the best pick for them as far as who the personnel they have. But Lou Cornette comes in, by the way, plays 13 minutes for them and, and hits a couple threes. Um, you know, is he just another version of Tice? Like, I don't know. I can't quite figure him out because I hadn't even seen enough of him in Chicago, really, to figure him out. But he, his jump shot looks really nice. Um, and if he can continue to do that, I mean, listen, in Chicago, he only shot 26% from three, uh, although he's had a couple moments when he played for the Knicks 
um, in part-time play where he shot like decently from three. So that might be the guy that they can kind of get some minutes out of two as well. Um, although I suspect that he probably just, if Tristan Thompson comes back, uh, he just might end up being, you know, a guy waving a towel on the end of the bench. Do you, so do you think, I guess my last point. With the Jafar, are you there? You want to talk a little bit? Yeah, no. Um, I mean, I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, so I want to talk about this trade deadline. But uh, let's do it. You know, but the weird thing is, just because you brought up Daniel Tice, that was just such a weird trade to me because there was no reason for them to, you know, to do it. Um, if anything, I thought it would have been more logical to kind of part ways with either with Tristan Thompson because Robert Williams bounced him out of the the lineup for the most part. But I think Cornette, um, they only took it from Chicago because of his ability to spread the floor. Because I think I remember I saw a stat that among his, uh, seven footers, like he's, you know, top 15 and three pointers made or something like that. Um, but it still was weird to me because Daniel Tice is a solid defensive big. And I mean, I'm happy for Chicago because they got him, but it, it just didn't make sense to me. What did you think about that? I agree. I remember looking at that. And the trade was kind of a, like a, a lot of players kind of going around. Let me just go through the trade real quick. It was a three-team trade. So Celtics sent um, uh, Tice and Javante Green to the Bulls. Uh, the, the Celtics get Cornette back, which you just mentioned. And then the Bulls traded Gafford and Hutchinson to the Wizards. Uh, so that and, and so, by the way, so they get Mo Wagner. Yeah. Who um, I actually that that's probably what they were trying to get. They wanted to get a little bit more shooting from that position. Um, I'll, again, I don't know if Mo Wagner is going to play that much either. But so that might have been the kind of thing. And by the way, if there's ever been a more like Celtics player than Mo Wagner, I don't know. That's the, he's the guy, right? The shooting <laughs> white guy who they who they could put in the lineup. Um, and so uh, so that might have been more of what what they were looking for, knowing they can kind of you know Cornet Tice. But you're right. I, I like what uh, Tice could do off the bench. He was never a guy they were asking like too much of him i think was part of the issue um and that wasn't tice's fault he should have been a uh, you know the a, a center off the bench who could give you you know 18 19 20 good minutes and instead you know they were starting him enough and they were they put a lot of put up more pressure on him so anyway uh so that probably was more like about let's get mo wagner in here and a little more shoot a little better shooting i don't think that he was shooting that well was he let's see here was tice shooting that well from three uh you know 35 percent rounded up not bad um, so that must be what they were centered on, but it was weird. You're right. And, uh, and I, I don't know if it's desperation at this point where they're going to need to make a deal or two, but, uh, we'll find out if Cornette can at least do, and I'm sure they must feel that way that Cornette can kind of give them, you know, some version of Tice's minutes. Yeah. And even uh, Mo Wagner, I'm looking at his regular season totals right now. He averages 30% from three. So, I mean, and, you know, often, you know, uh, you know, career average 14 minutes a game, he's putting up 15 minutes in Washington. So, it just didn't make sense to me, you know, because if it was three-point shooting off of potential, you know, of course, I think Mo Wagner you can say because even back in college he was spreading the floor. But defensively, Mo Wagner isn't even close to what um, Daniel Tice was bringing. So, you know, it was kind of like they shot himself in the foot in that kind of trade. Um, I remember even a lot of different analysts, they were like, why did you? Why did they make this trade? You know, it was kind of weird, but I'm not even too sure. Uh, you know, it's funny, and I, I keep forgetting that that uh, Wagner hasn't really shot the three ball well at all in the NBA. Um, you know, I, being in Washington in that situation, I, I wouldn't be surprised. It's just probably really difficult to kind of get rhythm and get, you know, uh, good shots up to, to hit him. But, again, at this point, you know, he's got a beautiful jump shot. The mechanics are there. We've seen him yeah. be a good shooter, like, in college. So that must be what they're, like, hoping for, a little bit of better of a team. Uh, you know, the offense might run a little more smoothly for him to get, like, some open shots. But he's not going to get, like, a great rhythm. He's not going to play, you know, enough minutes where he's, he's going to be able to take, like, eight threes a game. Um, so we'll see. But you're right. You know, again, sometimes teams make moves just to make moves. And I feel like that happened to quite a bit this year where you're just like, 
okay, uh, you know, what, what was the point of that? I don't know, but you know, they wanted to be part of uh, the trade deadline, I suppose. But, but, uh, but you, but you came in here, you want to talk about the bulls, right? Let's, we could talk about oh. that. What's your, what's your initial thoughts on what happened uh, with the, uh, getting Vucevic? Ooh, I mean, I, I woke up and, you know, my friend, uh, my friend Zane, he's actually in the chat right now. I remember he just texted me, he's like, the Bulls got Vooch. And I was like, what? You know, they weren't even in the conversation to get him. I didn't even oh, I know. You know, Vooch was in the market. And then, you know, I woke up and I just saw Woj, you know, uh, put it up. And I was just, I mean, I was very happy because Wendell, I know he's a young guy, but his health was always a problem. He could never stay on the floor. Um, at one point, um, the first time he got injured this year, I think it was with the hand, um, hand injury or hamstring. He hadn't even played 82 career games up until that point. He's in his third season, and he just wasn't progressing. He got bounced out of the lineup because Thaddeus Young was just a better fit overall. But I'm very happy, you know, because Vucevic is a two-time All-Star, and they got him for the purpose of being able to re-sign Levine going into next offseason. Um, and, you know, getting um, Troy Brown Jr., who's a defensive player, um, Jermichael Green, uh, not Jermichael, Javante Green, who had a ridiculous block I think you saw yesterday um, on a fast break. It was amazing. I'm I'm happy overall for what they were able to do because they're finally getting out of the guard packs era. Yes, okay. Uh, All those things I can nod my head at. Um, If you want to look at last night's game, though, in a bubble, uh, because remember, if you didn't see the game against the Spurs, they were down like 35 at one point. Oh, I saw that game. (laughs) Yeah, and it was was ugly, like almost from the beginning. Now, so so here's my issue because I don't know exactly. Like, there's still a lot of work to be done, right? Like they yeah. they didn't they didn't trade Thad Young, which I kind of thought maybe that was going to happen. Some team wanted to scoop him up, but I like him and I think he's a nice piece in that to continue making the Bulls good. Yeah. But um, I don't know, man. I mean, like here's the problem defensively. It, it was ugly. Uh, you know, they can't stop anybody, and yeah. especially if you're going to start Sadaransky, Levine, Busevich, Markinen, and Patrick Williams. Like you're not going to stop anybody. Even even most of the teams in the NBA will score a lot of points against you that way. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know what their their goal is here. Kobe White has fallen out of the starting lineup, I guess, for now. Um, yep. I, Sadaransky is not a starting guard in the NBA. I'm sorry for the Sadaransky fans. Um, he, you know, he only played 17. It was a blowout, but he shouldn't be starting no matter what. He's he's nice off the bench or whatever. But um, and I don't even know if Kobe White's the guy. But it's not Sadaransky. That's the one issue. Vucevic, you know, his defense has never been great. And and I don't think anyone has ever you know had you know imagined it would be good, but it wasn't good. They were picking on him in the pick and roll um, every chance they got, and it was ugly. Uh, you know they were hitting like fifteen foot pull up bank shots off a of pick and roll. Yeah. They were you know hitting pull up shots in the lane against him as he backed up. Um, Lowry Markinen is not a good defender at all. No, he's he always gets bodied by these small guards too. Like for some reason. The man is seven foot two forty, but you know smaller guards are like, all right, man, I'm gonna attack you every single time. Yeah, it, it gets frustrating, you know. After the um, first year's rookie, I understood, but then after that, I'm like, all right, man, it's starting to get repetitive. And yeah. I, I agree with the coach. Do you? I, do I you think, think coach- I think with Markkinen, you know, his lateral quickness isn't good enough, and and it, you don't have to just sort of shrug and say he's just not quick enough. That could improve. Uh, yeah. I, I just don't think that they're training properly to make, to improve his mechanics and his explosiveness uh, because I've seen you know evidence of him being a decent athlete and he could he can unlock more. So that's really a frustrating thing too. So th- so my worry is that Markkinen, for as well as he potentially can shoot, and we've seen evidence of that. Although I have a feeling if I go if I call up all of his stats, right, I'm not, I'm not going to see him be a good three three point shooter at all. I might let's see. He's got uh, he must have had a decent year last year, right? He, yeah, he? he's actually a pretty. Really good th- uh, three-point shooter. Let me actually pull it up real yeah. quick. Too. Do, do you think, uh, so you know, while you're pulling that up, do you think yeah. that Vooch might have been um, might turn into? I mean, it's only been one game, right? Uh, 
do you think Vooch might be one of those guys who just put up numbers on a bad team? Oh, that's always the, the interesting issue there. <laughs> he got to the, the all-star game anyway in that situation. Um, but, you know, here's the thing with Vucevic. Like, you know, he does score well enough that he can offset the defensive issues he does give up. But that means he needs to get – on any given night, he better get 25 points, right? Yeah. Because he's going to give up 20 yeah, I also, um, or, I also or think more. Too, the Bulls made this move because then, you know, you have Levine and Vucevic – that third guy might get attracted there because, you know, they got two good pieces or, you know, two pieces you think you could put together. Um, so I'd be interested to see how they go forward as free agency. I would love to know how much um, gravity Zach Levine does have for something like that. You know, I, I'm, I, he's a nice guy. Like, I've been around him a little bit. Like, I'm sure people like him. Um, I don't know uh, – Playing style-wise, if he's a guy, I mean, he's having a monster year. I got to do a video on him for sure to let everyone know. But still, I don't know. I wonder if he's got enough of that pull, uh, and then Vucevic as well, for, like, another, like, you know, big guy to come. You know, like, we're looking at look at the Nets. We can talk about them in a minute. Like, how, you know, Marcus Aldridge was supposed to be in Miami right now, right? And, and you know, at the beach. Instead, he goes to Brooklyn because of, you know, Durant and Kyrie and, and, uh, and Harden. So that's an interesting question because there's, there's not a ton of those guys that you want to be able to attract uh, any, you know, around any given time. So, you know what I mean? I don't know if that's, mm-hmm. that's enough of a draw. So as a result, like, they keep Levine. They want to ride with him. And uh, I wonder – wait, so what, remind me, what's Levine's contract situation right now? So he signed a three-year extension when he first got to the Bulls about two years ago. So next offseason, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Wow. I don't know, man. <laughs> they have to go all in right now because, I mean, I think they've made some logical moves for the future. Um, in my personal opinion, first and foremost, in the front office by getting rid of, you know, Garpax. And then they got a pretty good coach in Billy Donovan and Maurice Cheeks was a Hall of Famer. I still question that, but, you know, that's, that's a different topic for another day. And then um, now, you know, with Levine and then they're able to fix up the roster to be able to entice him a little bit to stay i think they're 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 trying to build remnants of you know a franchise and go back to what they used to be but uh, i'm hoping man because if he just walks uh you know i might cry a little bit you might be crying i'm sorry to tell you that uh i i kind of feel like you know they have a new coach new system new front office i would have probably just traded levine i would have been like let's just do this right let's really do it there's no incentive to win this year anyway and they're not i mean they're kind of winning a little bit what's their record right now um they're uh, 24 i think yeah and like and you know with the way the playoffs are going they're kind of sniffing yeah they're they're let's see here like, they are two games out of the eighth spot there's a play-in you know series that they'll, they'll be able to be participate in i guess but again yeah. you're, you're playing to lose in a sweep to you know number one seed or whatever so um you know, so so there's no incentive there. I, I honestly would have, like, gone all in. Like, you know, look what OKC is doing, you know. And here's the problem with OKC. They keep winning too many games anyway. Like, they're supposed to be tanking. They're going to get an awesome pick and an awesome draft. And they might even have more than one pick in the draft this year. I remember, I, I always lose track of that. Um, you know what I mean? Brown looks like the real deal, too, so far. You know, can I tell you a story about Moses Brown? I mean, you know, I've known him since high school. Uh, my buddy Tommy, who's BYO Mechanics on Twitter, was his trainer and, and like, created his game. Like, he he was a kid who was long, lanky, could barely move, had terrible mechanics, uh, and, and didn't have many skills. And Tommy trained the crap out of this kid for years, 
got into, you know, he went to UCLA where all they had him do was like set pin downs and then like face up to try and post up. And they never threw it to him. Uh, the whole thing just fell apart. And then the, the coach got fired. Uh, but it was to see Moses do what he's doing now. You, you know, you, then you got scratching your head. Like what were they doing at UCLA? They had a couple other bigs and they didn't they decided like not to develop Moses and I remember watching a practice or two thinking, and I asked him afterwards, I'm like, don't they ever let you like go to like the elbow and make a catch or even like the wing and just catch the ball and face up? He's like, nope, I just got to go to the low block. I stand there and I stand there and then I run back on defense every time. It was mind boggling to me. So anyway, he gets into the NBA. He's a G League stuff and he finds a great, a great place with OKC without question. And again, Moses has some skills. He actually can shoot the ball. So at some point, if he gets more comfortable, you're going to see him shooting the ball from the perimeter. And uh, and he's got good enough skills where he can do that. I'm telling you right now, I've seen it. Um, and I know Tommy trained it into him. He, he can do it. He can also handle the rock, too. So you saw him do the one dribble rolls and the short rolls for dunks. He can do that well. Uh, the next iteration for him will be, can he make the one dribble and then fire a pass to the corner for the open shot once they realize how much they have to rotate to stop him on the roll? Um so, again, OKC, though, they're really fun. They have a lot of really good young players who look like they're 16. My wife was watching with me. She's like, this is not the NBA, is it? Like, these kids look like they're in high school, and they do, right? Pokashevsky looks like he's 15, maybe. Yeah, they're, they're, they're such a young squad. And, I mean, to, it's kind of weird because when I see them, I'm wa- it's like watching the Jets at some specific point because it's like, yo, you should be tanking to get higher, you know, picks. But it's like, nah, they have too much heart. To, well, I mean, the Jets, I don't want to say they have too much heart, but the Thunder got too much heart to lose. And, you know, every night they're just going in, playing hard. And and I don't know about you, Coach, but I love Dort as a player, um, especially this year. He's just taking an, an offensive bounce. And defensively, I mean, he just hustles. He, you know, he might get his ankles broken. He might get you know, on the other end of a poster, whatever it may be, he's just always hustling. And then you got Shea, who's just a phenomenal rookie. Uh, not rookie, I'm sorry, young guy. Um, he's yeah. just great since he was a rookie. And, and they got, like, I think, what, 34 draft picks in seven years? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. There's got to be at least one all-star in that. The assets, I'm right? assuming, or, for, like, or trades. Or yeah, otherwise they're going to have – they won't be allowed to have that many players in their team. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah. they're doing it the right way. But as someone said on Twitter, I don't know who, but I saw it quickly in my timeline. It's like, you know, Sam Presti, uh, I'm sorry, Sam Hinkie got just, you know, fired and, 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 you know, ostracized from the NBA for doing this in Philly when the, the Thunder are doing basically the same thing. But um, perhaps they're doing it better, smarter. I don't know. Uh, it, may, it might be for shorter. I think that the, ultimately what ended up doing, dooming uh, Hinkie in Philly was they, they, they did it for like, what, four years straight. Uh, which is probably a little bit too long. If you're going to do it like a tank like that, it probably can be two years at most. But by the way, OKC in in two years, I think is going to be terrific. Oh, you're right about that. I I mean, I I would hope so, (laughs) you know, with with 34 draft picks coming in. But I think one thing when I'm comparing it to Philly, though, and the reason Hinky got fired is because they were just straight up vocal about it, saying, yo, this is a process we're tanking, you know, until we get something good, which, I mean, personally, I, I hate, um, because it's just, it ruins the game. Uh, when you look at the OKC, uh, kind of like how you were saying, they're, they're just hustling, you know, like they know they're tanking, but they're not giving up. When you look at those 76ers games, you could tell like nobody just wanted to play. You know what I mean? And everybody yeah. was kind of like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not doing this. I'd also say like they, OKC looks like they're trying to develop guys. Like it seems like guys are developing. Yeah. I don't think it was the same situation as the Sixers. They were just literally trying to lose at all. Oh, like, definitely. Yeah. Right. 
That's actually another great point. And that was always the fear that let the culture get so corrupted. Now, that said, when they got good, everyone forgot about it, and they're all happy with the Sixers again. And, like, the fans came right back as soon as Embiid and Simmons started playing. So I, th- that was always part of the worry, which I think is people have short memories. They don't remember that like, anymore, at least the, how bad that felt back then. But you, you have a good point, and that also hurts, you know, the franchise as far as trying to sign other players uh, if they want to go there. But I think that they've turned that ship around. It's pretty much, you know, th- this is all still rooted in what Hinky was doing uh, without question. But you're right. it's uh, it, it was weird. And, by the way, because they were, like, the first to really do it that way, they're going to get the most crap, you know. And now any other team that does it is, like, it's already we've, – we've seen it. It's not, not as new anymore. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's like they, they're not going to get as much uh, of that uh, of that vitriol that we saw uh, that the Philly uh, team did. So, um, But either way, it's funny because, yeah, one of my uh, my guys who works with me, you know, is a huge Thunder fan. He's always upset because they keep winning, you know, too many of these games uh, when they need they want to get that higher draft choice, which, by the way, even that the bad record doesn't mean as much these days, right? They've really tried to mitigate uh, tanking so that, you know, even with the worst record, the odds of getting that top pick, for instance, um, are not as high as they used to be. However, there's so many good players now that you just, you just want a top four pick at this point, which they probably, I mean, I think that they can get. Um, so yeah, that's crazy stuff. Uh, somebody asked, by the way, in the, in the uh, chat a little, a little bit ago about, you know, Tristan Thompson versus, uh, uh, Time Lord, uh, Robert Williams. Again, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, I guess I might have answered that already, but Robert Williams to me, I, I don't think Tristan Thompson should play much at all. I do not like the way he plays, uh, and on this team. Uh, it just something about it really irks me. It might be worth doing a deeper dive to give you more details about it, but there's just something about the way he plays out there doesn't fit. It could very well be that he's playing the position without very many skills at all uh, offensively, and that's why a guy like Tice fits a lot better. Williams has touch around the rim to some degree. Uh, Cornette can shoot the ball a little bit from three, so those are the things that seem to fit much better in their offense. Um, and even when Thompson was playing, their defense stunk, so it wasn't like he was you know being a huge impact there either. Okay, Stephen, are you out there? Yeah, uh, Coach, I want to talk about Kalari. Um, so, I guess the the favorites to um, go to the championship is uh, the Lakers and the Nets. And I was kind of surprised that the Lakers didn't make a move on Kalari or the Seventy Sixers. Uh, apparently, like I guess what this uh, what the um, what the Raptors were asking for was kind of a lot, but I think. I don't know. Do you think maybe the Lakers made a mistake by not um, adding? I mean, they. I think they wanted THT uh, in the deal, mm. and I, I think maybe they should have. But then I looked up Kalari. He's actually thirty-five years old. I, I didn't know that. He's kind of old. And right, but he's still playing still- really, really well. Like you imagine, right. you're going to get at least another year out of him after that. Um, Kyle Lowry. Okay, so do you know what the deal was? Does anyone know what the deal was as far as Kyle, uh, uh, Taylor, Horton, Tucker, and any, what else do they want? I think it was like uh, I think Dennis Schroeder was part of the deal yeah. too. Schroeder, Caruso, I think we're also part of that trade. Um, oh, right. If I could speak real quickly, Coach Nick, it was um, Dennis yeah. Schroeder, KCP, and THT, and I maybe a second round. I might be mistaken, but I think that was the wow. that was the trade that was supposed to be. But uh, Polinka yeah. didn't want to include THT. Like I'm a Lakers fan, so it's like for me, I'm just really like kind of like. I was mad about it originally, but I kind of understood, but I was like, I don't know. 
Yeah, this is the I last mean, year of his contract too, so you don't you never know if Kyler is going to stay too. Yeah, but then and here's the thing with the Lakers with the Le- Le- LeBron in his stage of his career, you can't f around. You need to go every for this year for today, right? So I get it. Like even if Lowry was going to walk uh, after this year, you still do that deal. How and for THT without question for. For KCP, without question, those two guys, please yeah, send a second round pick with whatever they want with that. Uh, Schroeder, though, um, you know, you, you, you would have still wanted him on that team with Lowry. Uh, you put Schroeder on the, uh, coming off the bench again, like he's been doing in, in his past. Uh, he's really been good for them and they, they would, they couldn't afford to lose him and those other guys just to get Lowry. That would have left them so thin. So I, that's probably the sticking point right there, I would imagine. Um, I, I can't believe it would, it would have been over THT. I mean, I know people like him. He's got some ability, but, you know, that he's not worth scuttling a trade for. I, I would have had to have think it was Schroeder. So you think they need Schroeder and um, Kyler to, I guess, win the championship? Yeah, you know, like because KCP played nicely for them last year in the playoffs, but you could replace that. It's certainly if you got like, you know, Lowry. But um, but I don't know. I feel like you still need that guy because, again, they had lost Rondo, who was, you know, kind of the opposite of Schroeder, but at least, uh, you know, in terms of contributing um, on the offensive end with assists, it's sort of there's a similarity there with what Schroeder does on the scoring side uh, that they need. I, I don't know. I, to me, watching this Lakers team, uh, they need that kind of guy, like what Schroeder does for them this year. I really like how he fits in that way. So, um, you know, and I don't, I don't know if Lowry would, you know, would have covered all of those things. And then, God forbid, like, you know, he, he, you know, tweaks an ankle or whatever, then they're completely screwed because they had given up all the other guys. So, um, you know, I, I think that's okay. And by the way, once AD comes back, you know, they go back to being a first or second, third team in the West, and, you know, things are all happy again. And then, by the way, when LeBron comes back too, I still can't believe, does anyone know what the most recent, uh, progn- uh, uh the prognosis is for LeBron coming back, how, how long it's going to take? I heard like three to four weeks. Still. Yeah, I think three to five weeks. So it's weird. It's going to be a while. I, I remember I thought I heard I've done that before. Yeah. Oof. Oh, I've done that that ankle sprain before, the E version, and it's painful and all, but like, I don't know. When I, I still can't believe that it would be a, you know four weeks for a guy like LeBron who you know, almost never misses games for anything. Um, so I wonder what that's about. And, he, and certainly it's not the kind of thing where he's like, you know what, let's take, really be cautious because AD is out, and they're going to be in danger of dropping in the stands uh, to the point where it might make it impossible to win the, t- the title you know, if they're below the fifth seed. You know what I mean? I think I look at it in two ways, kind of. One is kind of a funny way. The other one's kind of serious. I think in all seriousness, LeBron just doesn't want to, you know, aggravate that injury because he is 37 years old, and he just wants to take 36, okay? This, oh, this one. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, 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 man. That's important. Hey, he's like Tom Brady, man. The man's going to be playing until he's like 52. But, um, you know, I think he just doesn't want to aggravate it, and he wants to just make sure that he comes back as healthy as possible. And, you know, if they end up dipping too far below the play-in, I think he's going to have to come back a little bit early. But I think also the funny way to look at it is that he's he's doing what he did. Um, if you guys remember a couple of years back when they were playing, I think against Golden State, and he was standing next to Rob Palenka at Magic, and everybody was saying LeBron's going to trade you. I think he's, he wants to see what this team can do by himself. And going into the offseason, yo, he's going he's gonna to be the GM, and it's going to be pretty funny. Right. Well, we'll see. I, I mean, I'm telling you now, it's not going to be a, a, what what the, this team can do without LeBron and AD uh, isn't going to be great. And their rec- the schedule wasn't favorable either. I know they won the game. The last game they played, let me grab up their schedule real quick because it was uh, it was not easy uh, for a lot of those games. Anyone, let me see here. Where's my damn schedule? 
me switch this over to schedule Lakers. Uh, and that's a thing that they have to be concerned with because again, you know, it, it's already going to be difficult as a defending champion. That's just, it's built into the playoffs. Very hard to, to repeat, you know, yeah, so they're going to play Orlando, which is the thing. Yeah. So they got the Bucks, then they got the Kings who, you know, by the way, I, I screwed up. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter. Uh, the fricking Kings allow, um, oh gosh, uh, the Cavs. And they allow like Sexton to do a 94 foot drive in five seconds to basically win the game on a goaltend call and go up by one with 0.2 seconds left. I turned it off. I'm like, eh, well, they put 1.2 seconds back on the clock after the goaltend call. And then they let them throw the ball down the court to, um, to our Harrison Barnes' mama, who hits a turnaround three-pointer, just like LeBron had done in one of those games a few years ago. And so I looked foolish because I thought the game had been over. Um, however, I will say this. My point stands in that original tweet when I was saying uh, that the uh, Cavs won. Uh, what what you see happen is a block shot by a layup, and then out of you know maybe a second later, Bill Kennedy, the referee, blows his whistle, calls the um, goaltend, and then goes immediately to review it. If he hadn't called it, they couldn't review it. So it's like let's just be extra cautious and call the goaltend, even if it wasn't, and then we can flip it around if it wasn't. But if he didn't call it, then the game would have been over and everyone would have been pissed. So I really like how that happened. That's hopefully what more refs are going to do. And uh, and as a result, it gave the, the Kings one more chance and they won it. So anyway, to get back to that, the Lakers uh, have a relative. They have the Clippers coming up as well. Then they have Toronto, who I think, uh, you know, they're not as tough as they're going to be in Miami. And then they have Brooklyn. So, you know, we're going to find out in the next, uh, you know, two weeks, uh, just how bad the damage is going to be with the Lakers getting through uh, with these guys. I imagine AD comes back at some point in the next, like, two weeks, right? Do we know? I I hope so. I heard Doesn't... two, two and a half weeks because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like at this point stuff with AD is just all just really, really uncertain at this point. Um, I think I know the last update was that he was like, uh, they could let him continue, like, on-court work, like, position specific type stuff but i don't know yeah i feel like you have to be more careful with ad right. though because it was a high cat or the calf injury and it could be achilles yeah no right and there's a, there's a direct link between those kind of injuries sometimes and um you know uh, uh gosh achilles uh you know like when we saw um what you call it when kd tours achilles in the finals right it was preceded by this kind of calf injury. So I, I get it. Uh, yeah. So that's right. He was on the court. So I had to do some work, but so he's, you know, at least two weeks, probably four weeks, whatever, before they, they come back. Now that said, there's not that much time left in the season, right? I mean, I got to look here. Uh, how much time they've got, uh, you know, the, the season's going to be over on May 16th. It is now basically April. So they've got about what, six, seven weeks left in the season. So you, you missed three, four weeks. That's half the, you know, half of what's left. Um, but enough time, I suppose, to get them back on the court, get their rhythm, get back into shape uh, for the playoffs. But, man, even if they get back into shape for the playoffs and then now they're like the sixth seed in the West, I don't know, man. That's going to be really, really tough for the Lakers. Yeah, and I think when KD got injured, I, I think KD at that point was like very pressured by the media and everyone um, to come back because the Warriors were kind of losing in the series. And then he only played, like I think, two quarters and then he tore his Achilles. And I, I think... I think uh, AD signed that uh, long-term contract because he knows about his injury prone. And so, I mean, if yeah. if it's for the longevity of his career, it might not even be a bad idea to, it might be a better idea to even like sit out longer or maybe not even come back if, if, if it's in it. 
For sure, for sure. And, that, and that's definitely what they're doing now. I mean, and they know what they have, so they don't need to see too much more evidence on the net side. Uh, you know, when you get those three, and now, by the way, Aldridge is there. Uh, and how's that for a reversal, right? The Heat literally, I think, were printing up a nameplate for his locker, and uh, and Aldridge all of a sudden decides to go to uh, to, to Brooklyn. That does that, I mean, that not to change anything anyway, right? I think I had them pinned to win the East, no problem, no matter what, uh, with what's, what's going on there with, uh, you know, Harden, uh, you know, basically playing as an MVP, you know, and so that's the other question is, do we have enough games without Kyrie, without KD for Harden to assume, you know, like, you know, a front running position for the MVP? Uh, I, I don't know. I kind of think so. I mean, the guy is playing terrific. You know, this is probably the best basketball he's played in his career and, he, and he's already been an MVP. Oh, I agree. I think that the way he's just been dominating the basketball and, and facilitating at the clip that he's been doing, I mean, even especially because if you look at it, like Coach Nick, you said, the big three together of Kyrie, KD, and James Harden only have played seven games together. And he's put up, I think, what, at least 12 triple-doubles, and he's just been carrying this team. Um, and Kyrie's been doing phenomenal. You know, I think that, you know, he deserves some respect on his name for the things he's been able to do. But what James has been able to to come in and people said he was going to, you know, quote-unquote sacrifice – I mean, I haven't seen much sacrificing, you know, in terms of, you know, a little bit of scoring wise. But I mean, at any point, nobody's going to, you know, flinch if he drops 50. And I, I think he is a legit front runner right now. But I don't think the voters are going to give it to him because of the way he left Houston. And that just left a large, you know, bad taste in their mouth. But I think I saw you know, yesterday Jokic is the leading uh, person right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Had- and it, by the way, it's a nice story. Uh, Jokic is, is going to be the first foreign born MVP, right? Is that the. the- Wait, what about Dirk? Oh, did Dirk did Dirk win the MVP? Yeah, I think yeah. 2007. Was it 06, right? Or I think 06 oh, or 07. Wow. I can't even remember I now. I think either one Okay, of those so never years. mind. Okay, so either way, uh, it's a good story. They like that, right? And they cling to that. And, and by the way, Jokic deserves it. He's been playing out of his mind. And now, thankfully, the uh, the Nuggets have gotten their record back up to where it should be. Because uh, mm-hmm. that was the other weird thing was, like, he was really dominating early in the year, and they weren't winning a lot of those games. Uh, and, I, and I started to think, like, how empty are these stats? But at the very least, they're now, uh, you know, tied for fifth uh, in the West, uh, and they're moving up. And, you know, like, they certainly will catch the Lakers in the next, you know, few games, I'd imagine. Um, and then they're now that fourth. So that, that probably puts him close enough to being, like, I, and I don't know if it's a lock, but certainly the front runner for the MVP without question. Coach, can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah, yeah. Um, for me personally, I think Nikola Jokic is the best center in the NBA because of his ability to put fear in offenses because he can spread the floor and how he can make the entire team better. Do you think Embiid is a better center or is it Jokic? Mm. I do this video every year, it seems like. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, man, because, again, Embiid is the other guy uh, who I suppose – I suppose Embiid lost his a, a chance to win it because he got hurt. Um Man, oh man, oh man. It's really, really tough. I mean, you put them head to head, the numbers are similar. Um, you know, obviously Jokic has a much, uh, has a bit advantage over the passing, which unlocks so much more for the, for their team. Uh, MB though, I, you know, is a better defender. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. That's, that's a tough to, to, to discussion. Um, I don't know if I can really pick because it's pretty close to being even. Uh, is in my mind, um, you know what I mean. Uh, moves on the post on the block, they're they're both terrific. They're both A plus. Um, you know what I mean. Uh, rebounding. Uh, he, he, by the way, Jokic is not a bad defender. He's he's solid um, to some degree. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, I you might have to go Embiid if you're going to have to throw in defense in there a little bit. Okay. 
I don't know. It's close, but I, I don't know. If you want to fight me, I'll, Hey, let's do it. Uh, you know, but like, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I, if you're talking about just individual player per, versus player, uh, I don't know. Let, let me look at their stats. I'm kind of curious, right? For this year, but, uh, oh, I got to go to stat head. What is it? Anybody have stat head now because you can't do the player comparisons on B-ball ref without paying for it. Um, before now, what? For the for the for certain things like the player comparison finder, you got to go to stathead.com and then pay for it. Which, by the way, for me, it's you know I, I use it so much, it's worth it. It's not that much, nonetheless. Uh, let me type in Embiid here because I'm just kind of curious. When you, it's nice to see them head to head for this year. I'm you know although let's see here Embiid and then Jokic. Yeah, I know. Um, the, uh, minimum yep. twenty four and ten over forty percent of the three. Only three centers doing that right now in Embiid, Jokic, and uh, Vucevic. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is insane. Jokic is shooting 40, basically 43% from three. MB is 42. And they both take, you know, about, well, Jokic takes three and, three and a half, and MB takes three a game. Uh, you know, rebounds is almost exactly the same. Uh, oh, you know what? We got to normalize for minutes because uh, Jokic plays three more minutes a game. So, per 36, MB is, you know, scoring six more points a game per 36. Uh, Embiid is grabbing, you know, a, a rebound and a half more. Uh, the only thing that you see is a huge gap would be the, the assists. You know, Jokic gets, you know, more over twice as many assists, which is a lot. Um, so you know what? And then, okay. So does that, does, does that affect on the offense overall, which is really profound when you're talking about those assists? Does that like rise and lift him up above Embiid for whatever defensive advantage Embiid has? Yeah. Okay. I might. I could. I could probably go that far. It's. It's a lot of assists more than. You know what I mean. It's a lot. So maybe. Yeah. Maybe we can give Jokic the slight edge uh, over that with the with the passing. Nice. Yeah. I. I personally believe so. And. And I think the best benefit out of all of it is just because for the game of basketball. Because you know, for a little point in time, a few years ago, I felt like the big man was quote unquote dead. Um. And then yeah. now, seeing this huge resurgence. I mean, we got Demontis Sabonis who. It's just been phenomenal. Nikolai Vucevic, who's a great offensive player. You know, so he needs to work on defense. But, you know, overall, I mean, I, I really um, – I'm really happy, like, where the game is right now with big men, especially what happened. Oh, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird because I, I did a video on, like, how Zion and Randall and, um, and Sabonis are all dominating in a way that's, like, kind of traditional. I mean, Randall does shoot some threes. But other than that, this is very old-school 90s-style playing. Um, and they're all lefties, which is, I think is another interesting thing. Um, and then you throw in the other guys. Yeah. It, it, it's a, we're in a weird time. I think this is what's happening with the NBA and perhaps why ratings are down is I think that like the style of play is all, you know, we haven't been able to adjust as fans to like what's going going out on the court. And so as a result, like we're sort of less interested, perhaps it's not as pleasing to us. So I think we need to kind of, we're all going down a path to eventually get back to being synchronous where we all love what we're watching and the players are doing, you know, making it exciting again uh, for us to watch more and then the ratings will go up. I, I really feel like we're going to look back on this time, you know, five years from now and, and realize that this was the moment when, you know, we're, we're in this sort of like, it's a chrysalis where they're not having come out of the cocoon yet. Oh, um, fake. Yeah. Nick, basketball, we have a we have a new – by the way, if you want to come on and just chop it up, request to speak, we have everybody come in at the same time for a, a cacophonous fun time. So, Nick, what, what's on your mind? Um, I'm just frustrated Uh-oh, that – Are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm just frustrated that um, – well, I'm not sure if you um, talked about this before, but um, do you think any team, contending team, could use a guy like Lowry? 
Oh yeah, I mean all of them. All the contending teams could have used Lowry. Is, is that is that was that what your question was? Yes. Yeah, I mean he's still playing at a high level, even though he's old. <laughs> um, and by the way, I'm I am Kyle Lowry's height, and I don't understand how he could possibly get a shot off in the lane. You know, he's literally like six feet in shoes. Um, and that's really impressive to me. It's always been that way for him because for, for me, because like, you know, all those guys at six feet who can get into the lane and finish and he does, uh, just boggles my mind. But nonetheless, um, no, he would really have helped a lot of those good teams. He's got the experience. He knows how to perform in the playoffs. Uh, although it, it wasn't even that long ago where he didn't perform in the playoffs, right? That was his big knock, right? Okay, uh, I, I, that was. Remember, I think there was a time there where they couldn't get past LeBron and uh, DeRozan couldn't, you know, wouldn't play well in the yeah. playoffs, and Lowry wasn't playing well in the playoffs. But I think he's proved himself enough where, uh, in the right situation, coming off the bench as a guard on a good team, uh, he would really help a lot of those teams. He's just really smart, uh, knows how to, uh, you know, position himself defensively <laughs> to be effective, and he could shoot uh, and he can make passes. So he he would have helped a lot of players. It's it, it was really strange to feel like, um, you know, after all those moves and all the talk, that he, he was the one guy that didn't move. Yeah, I mean, but if he went to the 76ers, would it have, like, kind of um, his style of play be kind of uh, get in the way of Ben Simmons' style of play? Because they're both kind of... Um, yeah, would, would Lowry have gotten in the way of Simmons? I, I suppose it depends on how they wanted to manage the uh, the lineups because um, in theory, he, you know, gosh, I guess he starts, huh? Because uh, they would have traded like Danny Green or what? Well, yeah, uh, or they would have, yeah, they would have traded somebody that would they would have started him. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, I, you know, but I, I can't imagine that being a, a bad thing necessarily for the Sixers. I think that Lowry helps them more than he would hurt them and change any kind of different roles. Uh, that said, if you're going to try and figure out how to make that work mid-season uh, in, a, in a year where you're number one and want to get to the finals, that might have been really difficult, and I don't know. But, you know, Doc has experience too, uh, and, and I suppose could have figured that out. But um, I don't know. At first glance, it feels like they would have been better. Uh, it would have made them better as a team overall, and that would have been the bottom line. Um, the, like how far does LaMarcus Aldridge kind of push the Nets uh, to like win the championship? Yeah, okay, so so good question. You know, um, it's hard to tell a little bit because we haven't seen Aldridge play much uh, this year and even into last year. So it's like who is Marcus Aldridge now? Now LaMarcus Aldridge. If it's who we, you know, known for all these years, and it should be, his game should age pretty well. Um, you know, coming off the bench, uh, now, remember, defensively, he's not going to make a lot of plays. So he's not the guy they're going to end up relying on, which has always been the big until recently. Again, they've slipped all the way back down to the bottom. Uh, but again, they, once they get fully healthy, I'm not worried about their defense. So as a result, you're going to get a guy who's going to pick and pop. You know, he can now shoot threes and spread the floor more. Um, he's very experienced, and, they, and he will be able to perform in the playoffs, and he's done that over and over again. Um, so they're not, that's not going to be a worry like, oh, is he going to you know, shrink under pressure? Uh, so th- it just makes it more unfair in, in my mind. He really is a great addition for them. And I, I'm, as, as far as I can tell, he's willing to accept that. Because remember, it seems like in the past there have been times when Aldridge wouldn't accept the, the exact perfect role that he should have on, on any given team. But on this one, coming off the bench, being with the second big man off the bench, being able to pick and pop uh, with those guys, uh, he should get so many easy shots. It's going to be crazy. Uh, maybe they throw him a bone and let him post up a little bit, um, you know, just uh, you know, uh, at the end of second quarters or maybe in the middle of the third. Um, 
And I, I think they're going to be, you know, just that much better. And so they're just loaded. They really are. And, and he makes them even better. Does anybody know what team Andre Drummond's on? Well, he's now a free Lakers. agent officially, and it sounds like the Lakers are going to get him. I, 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 I would yeah. put money on the Lakers getting him right now. So I was – so, okay, I have a couple questions. So the first one kind of is related to the Nets. Um, because like you mentioned, their defense is uh, not exactly the best, but their offense is, like, absolutely insane. But if they were run into, like, a really, really good defensive team, like, I'm, I'm trying to think of one. Like, let's say like let's say the Lakers get healthy and end up making the final. That's just theoretical. I don't know if it will happen. Hopefully, as a Laker fan, hopefully, you know, LeBron and AD get healthy and maybe they make it that far. But let's say they're able to run into, like, a really, really good defensive team like you know, the Philly. Lakers who – Yeah, or – yeah, even Philly too. Uh, do you think like a really good defensive team like those teams could have the potential to maybe stop the no. Nets? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, not enough. You know, they could probably stop KD for a game, and then maybe they get Harden to shoot badly in that same game. But then Kyrie is getting thirty. You know, I, mean, I, I don't. I just don't. I can't see that. And by the way, I, here's some, here's a prediction. I bet you Lamarcus Aldridge is going to like win them a game in the playoffs. I bet you he's going to come in and he's going to all of a sudden score like twenty points shift the whole tenor of the game, and then, you know, they go on and win. Maybe they're struggling for whatever reason. He comes in and, and does his thing. Uh, Blake Griffin, I don't think, is going to do that, but I think LaMarcus could do that. I mean, I, I, I got to just see him moving around a little bit to see, because Blake is like on one leg. He really, even though he's got more energy now playing for the Nets, he clearly is, is you know, broken down. Uh, Aldridge, I, as far as I could tell, is not, like when he gets back healthy, ready to play. So uh, I don't see it. I honestly don't see any team able to shut him down. Now, how are you going to beat him then? And this is probably the video. Uh, you know, it's going to have to be. You're going to have to get really hot. You know, and then from three, uh, and then they're they're going to have to get cold. So I think that's the only solution. I don't think you're going to be able to shut these guys down. They're they're they literally are that are are too good. You know, a team is scary when Joe Harris isn't even mentioned. Man, like <laughs> this dude yeah. is a stone cold killer from three. Yeah, he's shooting fifty percent from three. I mean, this oh, man yeah. is just. Uh, whew. Oh yeah, he's uh he's deadly. <laughs> I, I, oh yeah, I, I, Harris is deadly. I mean, yeah. coming back. I I find it so like a funny that like when the rumor was that he's going to the Heat, that everyone was like, oh, that he's going to get so much better because of Lamarcus Aldridge. But after he they find out that he's going to the Nets, everyone's saying that he's washed up. I just find that the recency bias kind of like. Oh, we lost you. Yes. But that's true. And by the way, that, that part of that thing is some guys get a lot better all of a sudden when they go to a better team. So that's why the Drummond is a conundrum because I don't think he's very good. He's, he's been able to fill the box score to some degree, uh, you know, in his career and, and make it look impressive. But I, I just don't think he's got a lot of great skills. But then when you throw Drummond like on a Lakers team, all of a sudden he might be a lot better because all he has to do is, you know, catch the ball on a drive and dunk it. Although he, ha- you know, he misses dunks uh, as well. Um, but, you know, and he won't have to be like doing all the high post stuff, trying to throw these passes or trying to do a multi-dribble move, uh, spin move into the lane where he would throw the ball over the backboard sometimes. So he won't do all that stuff. <laughs> He'll just roll. They'll throw him some lobs. They'll throw him some, you know, they'll drop off some drives for dunks. And then, you know, that, that he'll look good there. 
you know, and that, that all of a sudden people might even say, that, oh, yeah, look at, look at how much better uh, Andre Drummond is. Now, you know, uh, he's not going to give you the Dwight minutes, though. Dwight was really positive for them last year uh, amidst all the shenanigans he was doing, which he's still doing to try and, like, you know, get people, uh, um, you know, upset and whatever and, and instigate, which is a little frustrating, but, it, you know, it works. Uh, they're not going to get those kind of minutes like they did from like, Dwight. So I, I hope the Lakers aren't thinking that that's what's going to happen because they're going to be a little disappointed. Yeah, I I mean, I agree because, like, I think the one thing that I would – like, I mean, I'm cool with Drummond. Um, I just think, like, obviously he's a really good – obviously we know he's, like, a fantastic rebounder. But, like, I know, like, his interior defense is, like, kind of suspect. Like, I don't think it's exactly the best. Personally, I would have liked to maybe see Gorgie Jang. I know he's not exactly the most popular option because he recently got waived. But I think like his interior defense is decent. He's able to like space the floor. Like, what do you what do you think? <laughs> you know, I was thinking about him this morning. He, no one signed him yet, right? He's now just a free agent. Yeah, I think so. Oh, uh, by the way, I heard uh, Spurs, Spurs, Spurs. Um, or, or Spurs, Spurs signed him. Spurs. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah, they released um, uh, Oh, right, they did, and that, that's one of those things. that Spurs, of course. Uh, here's the thing about Jang. Like, like there are moments when you're like, oh, okay, like he's he's okay, but. Here's the thing. If you're going to rely on him, you're going to be a an average team. If that's who you're relying on, um, you're going to be average. You know what I'm saying? But that that's the sort. Now, if you don't have to rely on him, he comes in for like, what, 15 minutes a game and gives you some whatever. Okay, he could be on a good team and do that. But, you know, we kept seeing that with the, with the, with the uh, Timberwolves where, you know, he'd be playing a lot of minutes and he's, he's average. He's not – or he's going to keep the team average. He's not going to be that guy. Um, so that, that's my thought on that, which is why, you know, can Drummond give you a little bit more than that if it's in the right situation? Like probably, um, he ultimately might be able to give you, there might be a higher ceiling than Jang, but Jang might be, you know, a little bit more like, uh, you know, what's the word consistent? Um, you know, you, you kind of know more about what you get, but I think that that his ceiling is lower. And as a result, uh, the, that's why the Lakers probably won't do it. Uh, oh no, they can because the Spurs got him. That's why they didn't. Um, and that's why they're going after, you know, uh, Drummond. It's kind of hard for me to believe I'm saying, you know, Drummond's got a higher ceiling than anybody, but still, uh, that's that's what I think about Jang. He's just average. There's a lot of players like that in the league where if you play them too much, okay, like, by the way, Carson Edwards, not Carson Edwards. Um, who's the guy in the Celtics? Um, crap. Um, oh, boy. Pritchard? Was it? Peyton Pritchard? I don't know. I'm just throwing on No, no, I'm going to tell you right now. Grant Williams. Forward, Grant forward. Williams. Oh, okay. If you got to rely on him, you're going to be an average team. I, and I'm sure Grant Williams is a great guy, great locker room presence, can do some things. But where is he right now? He's and he only he only plays in 19 minutes, but he's just not good enough, you know, in the NBA to be that guy. And yet he keeps like they, you know they, he's a rotational player in my mind. That that indicates something with the with the actual roster of the Celtics, which is also a problem. So um, you know he, th- there are guys, and again, I, I really hate to make it seem like they're bad people or they're bad players, whatever, but there's a certain class of player in the NBA that like, if you're, if they're rotational players in your team, then I don't think you should expect to be better than average. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, uh, I yeah, silenced everybody. I, I think <laughs> no, I was going to say, I agree. Spicy take. Um, oh no, no. I was just saying like, you know, coach Nick was just spinning the facts. So everybody, <laughs> we just had to be quiet for a minute. 
Uh, okay. Okay. Good. 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 I mean, listen. And again, I, I feel bad. I know a lot of these guys. Uh, they're great people, and they've worked really hard to get there. And but it's a business. It's a team. You know, there's wins and losses, wins and losses going on here. And uh, you know, there are those guys. When you watch them, you're like, okay, that this is not a guy who's going to make plays for you enough that you can be, you know, uh, great. Like even like a Daniel Tice, right? Uh, he's good, but not as a starter. Uh, you know, um, who was I watching the other the other night? Like, uh, did did Darnell Valentine? Get on the court again. Like, he's another guy. Denzel Valentine. Yeah. You know, I, I agree, man. I mean, when he had a lot of hype coming in from Michigan State, I was happy. I was screaming. I was like, yo, we got Denzel. Oh, Denzel. Yeah. His oh, father yeah. is Darnell, <laughs> right? Uh, Denzel, right. And again, every once in a while, he does something really good. Like, oh, look at this. But it's like, no, he is a guy who is, you know, the more you play him, the, the worse the team is, is what you're saying. And again, he hustles. You know what I mean? He's all those things. But, like, you know, it would have been nice if Izzo yeah. would have worked a little bit more on the old skill stuff versus all the playing. Uh, is this my chance to rip on Izzo again? I don't know. Uh, by the way, did we all see what Izzo did again in the in the tournament this year? with uh... Oh, when he was, um, like, you know, <laughs> yelling at his uh, one of his players, like, really badly. Like, they got to see Yeah, like, he grabbed him and he chased after him into the tunnel on the way to the locker room in the halftime and – you know, what was, what, what went unsaid at that moment? Cause I, you know, I don't know if you remember two years ago, I got in, you know, a lot of crap, but also a lot of support for my, you know, uh, take on him almost, you know, lunging at Aaron Henry and like wanting to fight him. Uh, it's ridiculous. But, uh, but you know, what was lost in that conversation just recently was that they were up 11 in a low scoring game, like 11 point lead in the low scoring game was almost like 20 at that point. They were up. They were, it was a tournament game. It was a knockout game. Like they don't have a chance, you know, he, and here he is, you know, it's all, it's all his own ego. It's all Izzo's own ego to do what he did, you know, because it's like, so what? The guy, they, it was a pick and roll and they popped and they both went to the ball and then, you know, they couldn't get back in time to stop the three pointer from being shot and it went in, you know, so it went from 14 to 11 at the buzzer, but they were up double digits in a tough game in a knockout game. And, um, it's almost like he's trying to coach, uh, to shut the other team out. And it's like we all know that you can't shut the other team out. No team has ever won, you know, 50 to zero. And it's the coaches that coach that way that drive people nuts because I'm sure he wasted a lot of time in the locker room yelling at the guy instead of saying, okay, here's three adjustments we need to make on defense to completely shut this team down. So what happens is they come out in the second, you know, the second half, the, the energy is terrible. The, you know, it's all because he was, you know, he, the, the Izzo changed that tone instead of being really positive and happy. Like, hey, were double digit lead, and then down the stretch, they completely wet the bed. They had no ability to uh, to be tough in the down the stretch like you would think an Izzo team would be. They they folded, and um, and Izzo did nothing to help them at all from the bench. It's just you know, I at this point I'm disgusted by what he does, uh, especially because he's a good coach. Uh, but it gets in the way, and then everyone who wants to yell at me, and in the same kind of manner, uh, the, the irony is I'll get yelled at on Twitter with this awful vitriol in the same way that Izzo bullies his players, in, you know, this negative, terrible coaching. Um, and it's irony, the ir- irony there that it's like you're advocating for basically abuse. And when people say, what are you talking about abuse? And then you're F you, da, da, da. They, 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 they like throw the abuse onto me <laughs> in the same way. So it makes sense that they're going to gravitate toward that. But we, we have to be better as coaches. We're learning better uh, ways of doing this thing. Not to say it doesn't work necessarily. Hey, did anyone watch Last Chance You? Oh, definitely. 
What I'm, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are because I, I just about finished it. I didn't watch the last like 20 minutes after the season got canceled from COVID. So I don't really know what happens now. Maybe I'll turn it on to watch, but uh, I'm kind of curious. I have a lot of thoughts <laughs> about the coach and his methods. And I'm kind of curious. Anybody want to throw something out there? What they thought? So I didn't, um, I, I didn't watch the most recent season. The last season I watched was when they were in, um, I think it was Indiana with the one coach that ended up getting fired. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty cool story. He ended up coming to the Starbucks that I worked at over the summer, uh, which is pretty random out of nowhere. But uh, um, to me, that type of coaching, uh, I think it depends on the environment you're in. Because for when, like in last chance, uh, you coaches, you know, a lot of most of those guys, they're you know, they're bounce backs. You know, they were in call, they were in you know the powerhouse schools, but because of something they did, they got bounced out. So he's they're giving them a quote unquote tough love, which I still don't think is the right thing because you know they're damn right abusing them in the way that they talk to them. You know they wouldn't even talk to their own children in that manner, and I think that that's a problem. Okay, when you you know you go about it in that way. But um, I think there's a difference between I'm coaching you and I'm just straightforward trying to chew you out in front of everybody. So, you know what? That's an awesome point. I'm glad to hear somebody else make it because like, that's exactly what I felt. The guy – so, we, you know, in this uh, this most recent season, uh, it's a junior college in East L.A., not far from me. And uh, they have a bunch of players, yeah, who have somehow fallen off the radar, who had – especially in this team, they were, like, you know, nationally ranked. They're really good. But guys who, like, had shots yeah. at Division One and, for whatever reason, self-imploded and, and you know, had problems with their lives, and, they, and here they are. So it's like, yes, for exactly that reason, you know, you see the coach – uh, you know, it's personal and it's disgust and it's anger and it's hatred, uh, in these, in these, uh, motivational techniques, which by the way, I have to stress is exactly how like every coach coached for a hundred years. So I don't want to fault yeah. the coach necessarily, uh, for doing what everyone has always done. And I'm sure what he learned and how he learned. And it's like, so here's a guy who, you know, like one of the guys is, is most likely bipolar. Okay. Now I'm not a psychiatrist, but I have, you know, I I have doctors in my family and I spent a lot of time studying the psychological effects of uh, in basketball and how we can fix this. So it's a guy who's, he, there's clearly, he's so up and he's so down and so manic at different times. And the littlest things can set him off that there, it's like the last thing you want to do with a guy like that in my mind, especially because he's like the best player who should be a pro right now. Uh, is to do what this coach did, which, and like, and by the way, here's the thing. We only saw 20% of the interaction. I'm sure they edited it in a way where, you know, we don't see maybe the quiet moments where he does sit down with them, whatever. But this is connected to Izzo as well, where what we do see a lot of is, you know, kicking him out of practice. And then we see this guy taking himself out of practice and smashing lockers, like which he could almost hurt himself for doing, uh, and quitting and leaving mm-hmm. and all over and over again. And it's like, it's like this weird cycle where it's like, why can't you see that like in, in his mind, the coach is thinking this is going to change him. He's going to change because I'm so hard on him. He's eventually going to do this. And even the kid himself kind of feels the same way because this is the narrative that we've been taught. But instead, it was like if we could come up with different techniques. And for example, if you want them, like I've seen ways where with with the use of language, you can trigger positive emotional responses to shake him out yeah. of this clearly path he's about to go as, as on a red line. And also in my family with my kids, like I I've seen this firsthand as well, where I've tried to parent my one of my kids this way. And you know it doesn't work. The kid does not have the capacity to like change in that way in the face of anger and disgust and you know and and um, and loud you know and yelling. 
Um, and so I keep seeing this and I feel so bad is because again, he's not developing. This player is not growing. There's no emotional, um, you know, growth there. This is like him sort of like trying to tamp down the clear underlying issues that he has psychologically, uh, to kind of barely get through to the next minute to the next second versus let's come up with different techniques that we can eliminate the, that redlining frustration right from the get go. And again, here is the goal. The goal is to get these players to play as well as they possibly can. Now I'm sorry, I'm on a rant here. Uh, and, and when you see him yelling and screaming and, and, they, and, they, and he loses his shit and runs out into the locker room and starts breaking stuff like that is completely against what the goal should be, which means to me, the coach doesn't have a goal. He hasn't sat down and really thought about it. Now, the other thing you see in a lot of the, a lot of the uh, practices is complete loss of control emotionally from the coach. You know, he's just all, all over himself, all over the place himself. That's exhausting, all right, especially for a team and the players who have such disruptive emotional lives as it is outside of the court with they're dealing with so many real-world things. The place where it should be very stable emotionally is in the gym. So that's my take on it. And I got a buddy who coached with him just before last year. I might bring him on the show and have a real discussion about this or even on YouTube because it's worthy of discussing this. Not to say that those methods can't work, but we, we need to be better. You know, there's got to be better ways than to grind it like that and to cause so much heartache for so much longer. You know, that's the thing. And then to not really, in my mind, have any progression where you ultimately, you do mature. You know what I mean? I, I don't think that that happens. I think that they learned to, to, hey, coach wouldn't do this if he didn't believe in you. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to smack the next person that says that because I, that's such a cop out to allow coaches to be abusive. You know, that's what it means. And, and, and then the players have to convince themselves, oh, he's only being hard on me because he believes I can do it. it nonsense. Nonsense completely and utterly. You don't need to do that to get the best out of your players. So. Anyway, anybody had any any other thoughts that might have seen this show and uh, or even just been coached like that? Um, I mean, for me, I think uh, because you know I want to be a coach one day, like a football coach, and and I think that there's you know everybody has to be coached in a specific manner because not everyone's going to be attuned to just you know yelling. I think first and foremost, belittling somebody and and cussing at them and, and talking to them in that way that's not coaching. That's just getting out your yeah. own problems and putting on. A- else uh that's just my two cents you know i'm not referring to any of these coaches or is or anybody that's just well, what i see because that's bullying you feel well me? here's and the problem with football is because because i'm i'm actually morally opposed to football all these days because of cte and the catastrophic injuries but whatever yeah but but you're right there yeah. is this notion that um you know with football you have to be that way you have to coach with anger and disgust and like physicality. Like I've seen how many times you see the assistant coaches like grab them by the face mask and they yank and they pull and it's like I don't know, man. Like, and, and, and I, it's part of me almost feels like, yeah, maybe in that sport, which is so vicious as it is, like, you know, that's what they think you have to do. I actually asked this question on Twitter yesterday. You know, you can guys throw in your two cents. Um, you know, like Draymond Green didn't learn to be really aggressive and physically tough from Izzo. Okay. Draymond Green came into that program already with that mindset. I, you, I, and, and my point yeah. being that you don't teach that. You know, so many coaches spend so much time and waste so much time in practice, like in under the notion of trying to like, we're going to teach this guy to be a vicious killer and really aggressive. I don't know, man. I think that there's everyone's different, like you said, and we coach everybody differently because, you know, most of those guys that have that, which is not, you know, I don't know what percentage it's never, it's not 100%. It's always like 40%, 30%. Mm-hmm. They, they're already pre wired that way. 
You know what I mean? They're pretty, you're not like yeah. developing that. And so like maybe you can get a guy who's not that aggressive to go amp up another 10% or whatever. But like otherwise, you're just wasting your time and you're not doing the things you should be doing, which is skill development, you know, giving them the confidence to play because they know that they're more skilled and, you know, and just better and better at executing uh, the game plan than the other team. And it's like I just watched, you know, uh, some drill that someone's running where it's like five guys diving up for one loose ball. You're just practicing to get hurt. You know what I mean? It's it's just it's so silly when you get into that toxic masculinity thing. And again, I, I have to stress that you know coaches who do that, it, it, that's how we've been coaching for a hundred years. So they would be really offended and upset for me telling them that. And that's not how I would come at them to help them understand that there's better ways. Um, but uh, it, it has to change. No, I'm I'm 100 in agreement with you uh, with that coach and and. and uh, just to kind of add a little point to that is that, you know, if we look at the best coaches, let's just say in the college football ranks also. I know there's a basketball podcast, but, you know, since this kind of came yeah. out, you know, when you look at Sabans and the Dabo Sweeney's, I've never seen them, like, grab players by the face mask and yell at them and do these type of things. They'll yell at them, but when you really look at it, I mean, those guys are more into coaching these guys as men because, like, when you look at a lot of those guys that leave those programs, they say, I left a better man. Um, but for me, I've watched Last Chance U for a long time, and it's like, yo, I just want to get in and out. And a lot of players talk about getting chewed out and these type of things. And and, and I mean, and tell me if I'm wrong, coach. The whole purpose of coaching is not only to make you a better player, it's to make you a better person, you know, and, and to develop you as a person and, and to give you the tools to succeed. And and that, you know, that should be the overall, you know, goal, I, I right? you know, it's funny because I used to love, you know, saying that, you know, we're gonna make these better, make them better people. You can't be the best player you can be unless you're the best person you can be. And at the high school level, you know, I probably feel that way. At the college level, I'm not so sure at that point. You know what I mean? At the college level, you know, let me give you an example. In Last Chance U, uh, it's right before the playoffs start. Uh, this guy, Joe Hampton, who, you know, was, was, was a five star, was going to be a, you know, surefire NBA player. Now he's stuck here. Um, they've got college coaches in the gym watching, right? They're, they're going to see it. Do I want to offer this guy and give him a chance to get back on that same track, right? So. What does the coach do in the middle of this? Because, okay, again, it's right before the playoffs, so the pressure is at its most, you know, at highest anyway, built into the season. Uh, now there's college coaches in the gym watching. So you know how that is. Everyone's, you know, there's already pressure there. They all yeah. want to do well in the practice and look good. And what does this asshole do, this coach? He, like, just goes off on this guy, Joe, for, like, for some random reason, whatever it was. And it it forces the it doesn't force him, but like then Joe of course loses his shit, marches into the locker room and just starts taking off his clothes. You know, no matter what. I think he ultimately like somehow after like twenty minutes comes back in the gym and they kinda continue the practice, but it's over. These coaches just saw what this guy did because the coach triggered him to do that. You know what I mean? And it's like, what mm-hmm. are you doing here? Isn't your job to help these guys like get the the the, uh, the scholarship? That's all he saw, talks about. He's like, we're gonna get all you guys scholarships. We're gonna win, and we're gonna get scholarships. And then he fucking does this bullshit, um, you know, and just like just destroys him in front of everybody, you know, in front of these uh-huh. coaches. And of course, he is going to take off his shoes, take off his stuff in the locker room, break some stuff in there in the meantime, and he looks terrible for these coaches. And it's like, why would you do that? That's all. That's that's the coach trying to look cool in front of the other coaches who are watching him from other colleges. Ego at that point, yeah. And it's like you know, and he doesn't get it, you know. And I and, and by the way, I'm way out there the other way. And here's the reason why I rail against this stuff now. I was that coach. That's how I learned to coach. That's how I was coached. You know, I did the same bullshit like that. I mean, I don't think I was as negative. I like to think I wasn't like that, but I was definitely, you know, had some of that. 
And, um, and I finally learned to like evolve and realize what the real goal is here. So I think that everybody, for whatever it is you're doing, even if it's not like in the sports, you know, you need to have a goal, an overarching goal that helps you guide you and helps you guide your behavior. And, you know, if the goal for the coach is to get the best out of their players, well, you know, at this point we know now a positive flow state in, mentally is what unlocks everything for a player. And, you know, not to yep. say you can't yell and you can't be passionate. That's all important stuff. But you want to be able to try and trigger for each individual player a way to develop a positive mind, a flow state in their minds. And we know uh, uh, chemically in the brain that in the face of disgust and anger and, and all those emotions, they, the, the brain cannot achieve that. And so what torpedoes this is that players, and there's probably guys right now who would say this, players would say, I need that kind of coaching to do well. And that just is sad to me because it tells me they've never had a coach that practices what I call um, emotional intelligence. And if they had had that, they would have known that they could have done more and they could have gotten to whatever height they, they had gotten underneath the other coach or more, probably more. But they never had that taste because, again, coaching in America, in the United States, is so overrun by what we see in Last Chance U um, and it's really, really frustrating uh, to me. And we need to change it. It's got to change. And if it does, we're going to have more and more players that, A, love the game a lot more, and then, B, play much better. You know, we saw, okay, Izzo is proof positive. His teams fold a lot of the times. He's won, I think, one championship, and he went to the Final Four or two. But let's not forget, he's produced more NBA players than almost every other, you know, uh, uh, program, which to me says he's great at recruiting. He's bringing in elite athletes to begin with. He's got good X's and O's, right? So that's not the issue. So I would almost argue that any of those wins he got deep into the playoffs was despite the way he coaches, Okay. It's, it's almost the other way. And then when oh, okay. we saw what he did with Aaron Henry and, and then his reaction to that is to be really like sarcastic. Oh yeah. Like the next game. Oh, we just, we, we kind of gave everybody some hugs. We asked him really nicely if they can get some rebounds. Like he has no self-reflection. He has no, and he did it again this in, in this year. He has no re, uh, realization that he is contributing to what is happening on the court and to watch those poor Michigan State players down the stretch against. Yeah, whoever they played, uh, they couldn't even make a post entry pass by the end. They just like threw out of bounds. It, they were so discombobulated. And you watch him on the bench throwing up his arms and, and looking all upset, whatever. It's like a better coach who understood and had better self reflection would have known how to lift his players up in those moments and it got them to play better. He doesn't have that capability. And as a result, his teams uh, suffer. And by the way, he, he, the style of play he coaches, he still runs offense that he ran 25 years ago which is like amazing to me. But the bottom line is those teams are going to keep getting knocked off as these mid-majors and smaller teams modernize their, um, their, their methods and their uh, skills. And all of a sudden, all the defensive things. I, I think Tony Bennett in Virginia, we're going to start seeing them get knocked off a lot more because, again, in, in my mind, like the, 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 the defense they run, which is um, pack line, is designed to play against offenses where they just the triple threat and they hold the ball and they don't attack on the catch and they don't catch and shoot from three, from deep. You know what I mean? I think once more and more of those yep. teams develop those skills, you're going to see Virginia like get knocked off more, more often. You know, And then and all those coaches at that level, my age and older, are all of a sudden going to be bad coaches because they haven't gone to a clinic and they haven't evolved. I'm, I'm kind of going off on a rant here, but, uh, but this, is what, this is where we're going. <laughs> No, I'm with you, Coach. You know, I, we just um, watched uh, Loyola do that, right? And, again, it's, it, they've done it a couple times now in the last two of the last four years where they're, they're beating teams that would be much better than them because they're playing much more of a modern, you know, uh, style uh, individually. 
Sorry, but go ahead. Were you, were you talking to Var? I have a question. No, no, I was. I just said I'm with you, Coach. Cool. Yeah, I have a question. Um, so, like, do Tom coaches like Tom Izzo get all these recruits because he has good X's and O's, or is it just because he has good program and they just come, or is it he's just a really good recruiter and he's like really charismatic in front of the parents, but when it, when it gets to the court, he's just like a very like right. great or very vulnerable. Well, he's since he's been there for so long, he's grandfathered in. Because again, I don't think new coaches coming in would be allowed to really behave exactly the way he does anyway. But uh, but you know, so the, the one thing you hear is, well, they know what they were getting into, which is what we heard about Bobby Knight as well. How did Bobby Knight get these players? They well, they knew what they were going to, which again is like, okay, I, I want abuse. It's <laughs> basically what you're saying. And that somehow that abuse is going to make me better. I, and I just like, you know, again, it's, it's, it's medieval age stuff. Now you really want to know how all these coaches get these players. They fucking pay them more than anybody else. That is how they get them. And don't be, uh, you know, don't think that this is a nice pristine game where it's clean, whatever. Every single program at every D1, if they win, it's because they pay the players more. How does Syracuse get any good players playing zone the entire season, knowing that if they were ever a pro prospect, they would have no skills to play man-to-man defense? Why would they even go there? Because they pay them. And they say, don't worry. You want to go to class. We'll write all your papers for you. This is what happens everywhere. So I, I hate to break it to everybody. I'm sorry if I shattered your bubble. Santa Claus does not exist. Uh, there is no tooth fairy. And all, and all the winning Division One teams pay their players to go there. Duke, North Carolina, Syracuse, Kansas, It's they all do it. And it's terrible. I mean, if they're paying Maybe it's not players, terrible. Maybe we all agree. Maybe the players should get that money, right? I don't know. Yeah, but oh, I mean, definitely. if they are getting paid, then why are we having this debate about, like, should we pay, the, should we pay college athletes? Ah. I mean – it's great. It's, they know that's the well, best I mean, question I've heard. You know, yeah. Anybody want to weigh in? And please, uh, if you I want to speak, please that, join in. Request to speak. The, I think the debate is because since the NCAA, you know, the bylaws are, oh, we can't pay, pay players. Then it comes in like, oh, man, should we pay them? I think we should pay them because especially like, you know, I, I mean, going back to college football again, for example, we look at these big powerhouse programs, right? Coaches making, you know, millions of dollars. Players are making these teams millions of dollars. The stadiums are getting renovated, gears and everything, and you don't get a penny. And for me personally, I don't like the, the debate where, oh, they get a free education. If you take the free education that they get, right, somebody's out of state, they have room and board, you know, their education, everything. Over four years, they're getting, well, let's say, for example, $100,000 out of paid of everything that they did per player. Let's just say, for example, right, for the sake of argument, but then the team on average, let's say if you're a Clemson or an Alabama, makes them over a million dollars a year. That's a tenth of what they gave you. You know what I mean? For for their blood, sweat, tears, hard work, summers that they don't get to you know go home to their families because they have training camp. I think they should be paid a really good sum of money for what they've been doing. Well, here's the only problem. I mean, there's rules in place where if you pay one person, you got to pay the everybody, right? And that's that's a, that's a legitimate issue uh, in theory, unless they change those rules and say, okay, only the money making programs are allowed to pay, and that would be something. Uh, I, I kind of feel like, how do you des- decide how much to pay? That's another problem, and that kind of just leads to like sort of more yeah. corruption. Now, the likeness thing is it was a big one for me. Absolutely, if you should be able to make money off your likeness and off your, your signatures, right? Yeah. Like that's the at the very least, they finally I think are starting to do that. But it, I think that they, even though they they passed that rule, it's still being you know manipulated by the NCAA improperly. Um, so at the very least, that's something because then okay, then the, the stars who you know are really making the money because they're going you know that's where they, people come to see like you know should the twelfth man on the team make the same amount of money as the best player on the team you know uh, Zion on Duke. Should, should, you know, as, as the walk-on who barely made the team, like probably not. But you know, I, I just think that they should take 
They should just make uh, amateur athletics amateur athletics again. You know what I mean? Make the G League this league where all those uh, NBA guys are going to go through and not have to go to college. Uh, you know what I mean? Just take it out of it and go back to being student athletes again. Um, you know, now, again, even if they did that, there would still be money being made uh, in the NCAA because, you know, the people support their schools. Um, so so yeah. I guess, right. So then the answer is probably some sort of stipend, right, where everybody gets, you know, 3000 bucks for the season. I don't know, right? Something like that. Like, okay, that, that could probably work. I've seen guys uh, that want to have a free market where high school seniors are going to have these people in suits show up to their house with suitcases full of money, and they get to decide, you know, on the market where they want to go based on how much people are offering. That just sounds ridiculous to me um, at that age as well. So that doesn't seem like a solution. And also, if that happened, then every D1 team would need their own in-house law firm to negotiate all these contracts like that would bankrupt them anyway. There's no, no amount of money they get in would be able to cover, uh, you know, a, a huge law firm basically under the guise of uh, the university to negotiate these contracts. So it's a mess. It's a problem. Uh, I, I don't really know. You know, stipend seems to be, yes, the, the one way they can maybe solve it. But if, if you're saying that they're already getting paid right now, like kind of under the table and they legalize, make it legal that um, student athletes is paid, then, wouldn't technically then the basketball players would be double dipping? Uh, on- yeah. Well, right. Or, you know, it would be single dipping at that point if they make it legal. But you're right. It's, it's kind of funny because I would suspect, like, if you really study the quotes when you see the players complaining about not being able to eat at night, whatever, like, you know, they always talk about that. You'll hear every once in a while you hear that. I don't think it's the, the best players in the team, right? right? Like, they probably are a little bit quiet. Like, here, let me tell you this story. I was a manager at Wisconsin. Uh, for the basketball team for two years in college. Uh, it was right when Blue Chips came out. So remember the movie Blue Chips? You might not have. It's not it a great movie, but it was about, you know, cheating in college and, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, it had all these college players in it. Well, we got a special screening of it. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of really quiet players walking out of that theater after we saw it, Okay. And, um, and I, I don't, and I don't know anything specifically, you know, cause I was a manager. I, you know, I didn't have that kind of relationship with the players where they would have been like, yeah, like, but you know, this guy had a pretty nice car. Uh, you know, this other guy came who was a real blue chip prospect was supposed to go to another school. And at the last second, like decided to go to Wisconsin of all places, which had not at that point been a destination at all. Uh, and you're like, uh, okay, that's weird. You know, and he's got a car too. And he, I know he comes from a pretty you know poor background. So it's like, you know, all those guys were pretty quiet walking out of there, having been faced with what was probably going on in their lives. At least not everybody, but, you know, the three or four players probably that they needed to, uh, to entice to come. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, by, by the way, gambling on games is probably still as prevalent as it's always been, too. I wrote a script once about the 1950 CCNY team that won both the NCAA and the NIT in the same year, which you can't do now. Uh, but they were, they were point shaving. Every few years, there's some sort of there used to be at least a you know a, a scandal about point shaving, even into the 90s and into the 2000s. Um, I, I kind of find it hard to believe that they they completely and utterly stopped gambling on the games, uh, the players, you know, for extra cash. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's hard to imagine that they wouldn't that actually that nobody is doing like point shaving at this point. It's sports gambling. Right. I mean, right. And it's, and it's, it's, it's out of the fact that they don't have any money. Right. And that's what happened in 1950 was like, these are all poor kids. And, but, but what you learn then, even, even in 1950, guys were going to different schools because they knew they were going to get paid. They'd get the hundred bucks after the game. Hey, great game, kid. And they give them an envelope of hundred bucks, which in 1950 was like a thousand bucks, maybe more. 
You know what I mean? So, uh, and then, hey, by the way, can you miss those free throws at the end if you're up by 10 and well, you know, whatever. Like then that, they didn't think that was a big deal. That was the culture back then. We're talking about in the 40s and the 50s, right? So it's like, come on. It's, it's even crazier now. So, um, you know, listen, we live in the matrix. There's a lot of curtains that are being pulled, drawn back. We've seen now the scandal about how people were getting kids and the rich kids into college, right? By paying to put them on the crew team. At the, you know, that's the one, the easiest way they were doing it. Oh, um, you know, there's a lot of problems now with, with the NCAA and, and college in general, how they're doing these, uh, the process of, uh, you know, letting people in. Um, and it's, you got to somehow have faith in humanity or else this world becomes a pretty ugly place. The whole story about Rick Pitino and Louisville. Is, All right. Is well, listen, it, this is, we're going on an hour and a half. I usually only go an hour. So, uh, and, but we had, you know, really good discussion. I'm going to definitely post this one on my podcast, I think. So anybody who's in here, uh, you'll get to get broadcast across uh, the, the podcast platform as well. So, uh, listen, thank you guys so much for being part of this and letting me just vent. Uh, I wasn't prepared to, uh, I didn't think I was going to do that, but hey, I feel better. I'm going to have a better day on this one. So I thank all of you guys for doing that. And, uh, you know, listen, don't forget, sports fans at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, guys? Yep. Yeah.